Good morning, Solano. Uh, my name is Xiang Ling, and today I'm honored to read the scripture from Matthew 5, 13 to 15. And may I invite you to open your Bibles and read along with me. Uh, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. This is God's word. Thank you. Amen. Well, I wanted to uh, share a personal note, actually, as I get started this morning. Uh, just a number of weeks back, I excused myself during worship because I was taking care of a situation with my daughter. And I know I invited a lot of you to begin praying. And uh, over the course of these weeks, we've just seen, I just want to report, we've seen God move in some amazing, amazing ways. Somebody asked me last week, I said, I've been praying, I've been praying, how's it going? So I wanted to just come back and report that. And on Friday, it was kind of a significant moment of transition. And it's not appropriate for me to go into the details, but I do just want to give glory to God for the way that Jody and I have been able to see him working in the last weeks. And uh, just very encouraged and very excited and very thankful for those of you who uh, joined us in prayer during this last season. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. So let me pray. Uh, God, would you take uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, and would you use them for your glory? Would you change us and grow us and transform us? And would you remind us that, in fact, you are our rock, our lives are to be built upon you, and you are our redeemer. And so we praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, deep down inside all of us is this sort of craving, this longing to do something in life that counts. Uh, maybe you've heard the story of Christopher Wren. Christopher Wren was an architect back in the 1600s uh, of cathedrals in England. And uh, this story that he shared has sort of captured people's imaginations for a while. He was, he was passing by a work area and there were a number of bricklayers there and he asked three of them what they were doing one at a time one was sort of hunched over one was sort of standing halfway and the other one was standing tall doing his work and he asked the first one uh, what are you doing and he said uh, I'm a bricklayer and I'm making what I need to I'm laying bricks and making what I need to provide food for my family and the second one said uh, I'm, I'm a wall builder and uh, the third one said, I am building a cathedral to glorify the Almighty God. And that was the one who was standing tall and working at a, at a different pace and uh, ended up becoming the overseer of them. And you see in that story just the different sense of work that they were doing and the impact that it was having, right? One was more small-minded and one had this, this hopeful vision for what he was doing. So how do you know when what you're doing 
uh, counts, when it matters, when it has an impact. We, we look at all kinds of different sources to try and understand our impact on the world, the, the meaning of our lives. I've been cycling uh, a little bit more intentionally recently. Uh, many of you who know me know that uh, for a decade or so, I was a very serious cyclist, and then I kind of let it go. And recently, I've been getting back into it, and there's this app that everybody uses uh, when they're cycling called Strava, and it sort of measures your speed at every moment, and uh, you have competition with everybody else who's on a bike. Uh, with every segment that you pass, you can see what they've done, and it turns into this this big competition. And as, if, as I'm getting a little bit more serious, I sense that draw to to find kind of a, a a sense of worth or meaning in going at a speed that is you know better than it was and and is high in comparison to everybody else's. In fact, people have become so obsessed. This probably sounds crazy to some of you, but people have come, become so obsessed with getting fast segments on Strava that they have they have actually put themselves in 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 harm's way and even died trying to get what they call the king of the mountain on a particular segment. So you see how our minds, right, get caught up in these pursuits. And the ones that are more typical, the ones that we all know about are those of you who are students getting good grades, right? You attach, my life counts if my grades are good or my, or my life counts. I know when I was in college, there was a sense of building community. My life counts if I have enough friends. And then as we get older, we look to other signs. My life counts if I live in the right place or I have enough wealth. Or as we look at our careers, my life counts if I have a particular title. And uh, people chase after, in fact, Lauren shared with us last week a story of, of her pursuit of a particular job situation. Uh, and, 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 and then also my accolades in my work. Did I get certain awards? Or uh, if those of you who are in academics, you know, do I have publications with my name attached to it? And if we, if we have enough of those, maybe we could start to feel like our lives count. And there's all kinds of other markers that we look at. You know, um, am I married? Do I have kids? How many kids? And how are my kids are doing? The list goes on and on. They're the usual suspects, right? And when we think about life in the Bay Area, sometimes we, we look down on those. We, say, we, we don't chase after those things. But I want to challenge us to think, in fact, a little bit more deeply how those pursuits become the object of our sense of meaning in life. And I want to invite you to think, even right now, I want to give some space to the Holy Spirit. When we're gathered like this, the Holy Spirit is with us and, and moving in our midst. We're gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, and the living God is with us. And so one of the most important things that can happen is that we get a touch from the Holy Spirit, maybe helping us to discern something that God wants to transform inside of us. And so let me just lay it out there and ask you that question. What is it that you go to for a sense of significance and meaning in your life? What is it, what is it that you're looking to do to make an impact on the world? Because the fact of the matter is that deep down we all have this longing to make our lives count. As we go through our passage, keep that question in your mind. Lord, what are the things that I particularly am leaning into and looking to to try and make an impact in my life, in the world? 
Now, one of the things that uh, I'm going to say, and this is kind of a strong statement, but if you really want to have a deep impact, you, you need to connect your life to God, you, who you are and what you do to God in some way. It's, it's not to suggest that a lot of the things that we pursue are not meaningful. They are meaningful. They are meaningful. But not on the deepest level. If we want our lives to count to have meaning on the absolute deepest level, we need to, we need to see and connect who we are and what we do to God. And, and why is that the case? Well, if there is any meaning in this universe, if there is any meaning in this universe, it's because there's some sort of author who has intended there to be meaning. If, if there is no God, then we might as well just do whatever we want, right? There can't be meaning. We're just a bunch of, we're just a bunch of atoms colliding into each other. But if there is a God, an author of meaning, then it makes sense for our lives to be attached and connected to that author so that the one precious life that we have can be lived in the most meaningful way with the most significant impact on the world. And what we're going to see in our passage today is that actually the church has a significant role in helping us to have an impact on the world. So open up to Matthew. We've already had it read for us. Uh, and uh, this is a big claim. I know it is. And so we're going to look uh, in this text. Our text today is about the impact that you have in the world. And when I say you, I mean both the singular you, which is how we as Western thinkers probably hear the word you. But I also mean it in the plural sense. Uh, how you together how we together will have an impact on the world, which is actually probably more what uh, Matthew and what Jesus are intending in this particular passage. That we together can live a meaningful life and we can have an impact on the world and the church is a big part of that. So why is that so? Well, I want to make three statements today, uh, and the first one is simply this, is that you have an impact on the world, and I'm going to have us look at this passage again. I'm going to go ahead and read it again, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. If you have your Bible, open up to there and hope you can uh, make notes, or if you're using a digital copy, you can highlight some things in here that are important. But Jesus says this to his disciples. He says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So some notes on this text. Um, first one is, who is this written to? Who does it refer to, right? That's the critical question we need to ask. And the answer is up the passage in verse 1 where Jesus says, uh, and I think we're actually going to put it up. Seeing uh, the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. So later when he references, references you, that means his disciples. He's saying you, my disciples. 
you refers to his disciples. And so that's how we enter into this text as well, because if we have come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if we've associated ourselves with the person of Jesus Christ, if we put our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, then we also are the disciples of Jesus. And so this text refers to us. Now, let me ask the question, what kind of people are these? And it turns out that they're blessed people, but not for the reason that you might have thought. Uh, Let me keep reading in in verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you, When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As one commentator says, Jesus is talking to the little people. Right? You would think if he's going to refer to them as the salt of the earth and the light of the world, well, these must be pretty incredible people. They must be pretty special. But the description of who they are includes words like uh, poverty and sadness and meekness. And yet over people like that, he makes this incredible declaration about the impact that they're going to have on the world. And as I said, we're those people. We're Jesus' disciples. That's what a church is. A church is a gathering of people who call on the name of Jesus and people who are exploring the possibility of calling on the name of Jesus. So if you're here today and you're not sure what you believe, we're so glad that you're with us and hope that you'll just kind of keep trucking with us and asking questions and, and, and looking to Jesus and, and trying to discern and explore who Jesus is. That's what a church is. It's, it's, it's filled with disciples. Uh, and we're not here. This is a really important point that I like to make as frequently as, as, it, as it comes out of the text, we're not here because we have it all figured out. And a lot of times when people come into a church setting, they look around and they feel very intimidated. They see these, these are the church people. They must, they must know what's going on. They must have it all figured out. But actually, the deep reason that people come to church, that we participate in the community of church, because we like to refer to the church as the people rather than the building. The reason that they participate in the community of the church is not because they have it figured out, but because there's a need. Because we recognize that we have needs. We know we need something greater than what we have without the relationship with Jesus Christ that is so wonderfully upheld and offered out in the community of the church. So let me just make sure that point is clear. If you're here and you're visiting and you're feeling intimidated because you're in a church setting, I want to encourage you to let that go. 
That this is the gathering of the little people, the broken people, the needy people, the impoverished people. We just maybe know that that's who we are. And so we're coming to God to be enriched by the work of Christ in our lives. And so all this to me makes it even more amazing to consider uh, the impact that we have in the world. That the, that the little people can have this impact in the world. That the, the little people can have this meaningful existence. That we are the salt of the earth, not my words, God's words, and the light of the world. The salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, um, those of you who are reading the text closely and you're more of the scientific mindset, you're probably uh, looking at this and saying, well, how does salt actually lose its saltiness, right? That's, that's not possible. Well, back in Jesus' day, what they called salt was actually a mixture of several different substances, one of them being salt, and the salt being the more dissoluble of the rest— you know, if there was humidity, could, could, could seep out of the mixture. You'd have a mixture that still looks like salt, but all the salt is actually gone from it. And when that happened, what they would do is they would take that substance and they would throw it on the roof, which was also a deck. So in, in that day, the homes, the top of the home was a deck where people spent a lot of their time because it was, it was hot. You could sleep up there even when it was really hot. And, and, and you wanted to have a cohesive roof so that the rains wouldn't come in and that mixture minus the salt, which was now useless for food, would be thrown on that roof and it would provide cohesion because it was, it was so fine, it would plug the holes on the roof. But it would be trampled on. And so that's what Jesus is referring to. When the, when the salt part of it, the actual salt is gone from the substance, then we just throw it on the roof and that's it. And the purpose of salt in Jesus' day in the ancient world was to preserve the food into which it was embedded. So there were no refrigerators, right? We look to a refrigerator to do that. Uh, they used salt to preserve the food. It would slow down the decay process and you could eat it uh, for a longer period of time. And so salt was a very precious commodity. It was very, very important. Uh, and salt kept food from spoiling. So Jesus says, you, people, my disciples, impoverished often, little people, you are the salt of the earth. You keep the earth from spoiling. That's a grand claim, isn't it? We'll come back to that in a little bit. Well, what about the image of light? The picture that Jesus has in mind probably here is uh, a city, a village that would be on a hill. Uh, imagine limestone buildings that pop in the sunlight against a green vegetation background. Or more likely, when the sun would go down and the lamps would be lit in that little village, the light from all of those lamps would radiate up into the sky and you would be able to see that village from a way far off. It was beautiful. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, the purpose of light in the ancient world was to illuminate things. Not a lot has changed, right? It's still the purpose of light to illuminate things. It shows what's really there. Light shows what's really there. And it makes possible for people to navigate through the darkness. 
It shows what's really there, and it makes possible for people to navigate through the darkness. You put a lamp on a stand, and its reach is even further. Of course, you put it under a basket, as the text says, and the light is contained therein, and it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. So, Jesus says to these same people, to you and to me, you are the light of the world. Not my words. These are Jesus' words. You are the light of the world. Are you feeling sort of the, the range of this statement that Jesus is making? Just how powerful it is, the, the implications of it, the extent of it. So both salt and light, this is another point, both salt and light have the qualities that they have inherently. It's just what they are. Salt is salty, right? Light shines. It casts out the darkness. They're inherent qualities. And so Jesus seems to be saying this about us as well, that, that our saltiness, our, our flavoring, and our illuminating our inherent qualities about who we are. Now, we're going to come back to that later because I think that brings a lot of confidence in the way that we move through the world. So we'll, we'll touch on that s- some more. But before I get there, I want to ask a question. Because I'm guessing that you're feeling a little bit of a disconnect at this point. Some of you are asking, okay, if this is true of me and us collectively, then why does it seem like it's not true so much of the time? Why does it seem like we're not salt and we're not light in the world so much of the time? So let's just kind of take a little pause, a little aside here and address that question. And I want to say this under my second point, which is your impact is often deeper than you can see. Your impact is often deeper than you can see. You're asking now, you know, if these four verses about Jesus' disciples are true, you know, does it seem like the impact, why does it seem like the impact of the church is so small? And that the impact of the church is not good at times. This is a question, a huge question, that is floating in our culture right now in a massive way. Um, we've been grappling with it as a society in many respects. And so I want to I speak to it a little bit because I don't know that we can embrace the real import of this text unless we grapple with this question. We know that bad things have been done in the name of the church, and we can list them, the Crusades, the Inquisitions, slavery, participation in slavery, abuses during colonialism, racism, abuse of power, mistreating others, hatred to, towards others. That's just a short list. I'm sure we could, we could make it longer. Uh, there's all the individual specific things that have happened, right? Uh, these are realities, and we, we have to grapple with them in light of this text somehow. So how, how do we untangle this? And the fact is that these realities need to be repented of, grieved over, and reversed as the Lord provides strength to do so. And some of the work that we've been doing as a church is to come to God and say, now how do we do things differently than they've been done in the past? And so we had over the, the last season, all of our leadership gathering together, spending uh, upwards of 11 hours to talk about uh, the issue of race and, and how, do we, how do we dig into what the Bible really teaches? Because the, the message around, you know, all the different kinds of peoples that God has created in the world is a beautiful, beautiful message. How do we live into that more fully? 
and turn away from some of the things that have happened in the past. So these things need to be repented of and grieved over and reversed as the Lord provides strength to do so. But that's kind of the point too. Christianity contains within it this endless potential for reform. This endless potential for reform. Uh, one of the cries of the church that goes all the way back probably to St. Augustine um, is, it's this Latin phrase, semper reformanda. Semper reformanda. Always reforming. Always reforming. We should never take for granted, and this to me is, is encouraging, that embedded in the church is this mechanism for continuous reform, for calling out what is bad and, uh, and, and, re- and, and experiencing renewal in the pursuit of what's good. So, so embedded in that, now this isn't embedded in every institution that there is in the world, but it's embedded in the organism of the church. That it's always in the process of reforming. And that process is endless because the standard that we use in that process is the perfect person and teaching of Jesus Christ. So we're always seeking to approximate who Jesus is and what Jesus said more and more fully. And that gives us this unique uh, force within to be growing and changing and transforming as we encounter things that are not the way that they should be and we begin to work on them. And then we have the Holy Spirit poured out on us to guide us, to lead us in that process. But there's another piece to consider and that's this, that God's movements through his people are often hard to see in the short term, but easier to see in the long term. God's movement through his people in the world are often hard to see in the short term, but easier to see in the long term. This is true of the history of the church more broadly, but it's also true you might be noting in your own life. If you try to look at your impact on a daily basis, sometimes you come up feeling like, man, I'm not sure, you know, I'm really making a difference. And then over a long period of time, if you've gone to somebody's you know, memorial or funeral, and you've heard the impact of this person's life that's now been able to be viewed from the perspective of a long period of time, you can see that that something significant has taken place. The same is true for the church in general. So while bad things mentioned are true, it's also true that without Christianity, you'd be hard-pressed to explain a number of things that we value highly in our culture and society. The impact of the church on the world. The concept of human dignity to begin with. The concept of human dignity. Hard pressed to explain why that's been embedded in our culture without the presence, the long established presence of the church and the teaching of scriptures in the world. And that one idea has so many different ramifications in just about every field of endeavor. The concept of literacy and education. We were celebrating our educators today. And so much of what we understand about the way education works and the value of education and the importance of education as it's attached to the value of every single individual 
a huge portion of that goes back to the impact of the church. We would not have universities without the church. We would not have literacy, widespread literacy without the, throughout the world without the church. And so there's been uh, a huge impact on that. Um, hospitals, I'm going to go more quickly through these. Hospitals are an outgrowth of these little people who loved Jesus over time and saw that people needed healing because they were sick and they needed to be cared for. And so as followers of Jesus, they decided to move in and do that caring. And eventually that grows into what we now understand to be hospitals and orphanages and women's rights and the abolition of slavery and the repudiation of Awful things like, like pedophilia. William Booth of the Salvation Army was the one who fought tirelessly against that and fought for the minimum age of sexual consent. So some of these things that, you know, we don't even love to talk about because, you know, they're hard, but it's the presence of the church in the world being salt and being light that has brought them into it. It's people who were inspired by the person and the message of Jesus Christ, who worked tirelessly to bring about these changes in society. We could talk about modern scientific method really growing out of the study of Scripture and the rationality of the God of the Bible so that we could do tests and understand the world because he's not a capricious God who does what he wants on, on, on his whims. And then, of course, the multitudes of cherished artistic works that we all love uh, and we have been so blessed by. And we could go on and on. As bad as this world seems sometimes, we can imagine one that's much worse, right? You can imagine a world that's much worse than the one in which we live, where there hasn't been salt and there hasn't been light to flavor and guide and change the direction of who we are. We watched a movie the other night um, called The Outfit, and I hope I don't spoil this for you. It's pretty complicated, so I don't I think even if I tell you this, you're still going to struggle. Um, so it's about this, uh, you, you want to call him a tailor, but he's a suit maker. Actually, his official title is a cutter. And he's this meek, humble British man who has found himself in Chicago making suits. And he ends up making suits for gangsters. This is, you know, uh, early on last century. And um, he finds himself caught up in sort of the machinations of these competing gangs. And you're, you're kind of feeling sorry for this tailor, this suit maker, this cutter, uh, because it's like he's at the whim of these powerful forces. But as the movie starts to progress, you realize that, what he's, that he's actually at the center of the downfall of these gangs. That he is orchestrating from his place of meekness and weakness as simply the suit maker. And the reason he's doing it is because of his receptionist who has become a daughter-like figure to him. And she is on a road to be engaged, to be involved with these gangs, and he wants to protect her from that. So it's coming from this beautiful place of love for this daughter figure. 
And behind the scenes, he's orchestrating this huge transformation. And when I read a text like this, and I think about the way that God works, I feel like it's a good picture of how God works in the world. And it's a good picture of how we, the followers of Christ, often find ourselves working in the world from a place of meekness, from a place of poverty, and yet, when all is done, you get to see at the very end what God is doing. And that means something really significant for us, that the reality of our saltiness and our luminosity during much of our life is going to have to be taken on faith. It's going to have to be taken on faith because we're not going to see all the ways in which we're having an impact in the world. We're just not going to see it. One day we'll see it. And that's going to be a glorious day. And I have little moments where I, I think to myself, wow, what was going on there? I can't wait till heaven and, 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 and that whole story opens up and I, maybe I get to see that something significant was happening. And the whole time, you know, I was confused and I didn't understand and I was frustrated and I felt like I was having no impact at all. We walk by faith. And as we do, this is my last point, we do it in obedience. We do it in this way to make an impact. So my last question is, how do you make an impact? And I got a couple, a few things that come out of this text, and especially these metaphors, which are so powerful, the salt and the light, that I want you to think about as we finish up this morning. And maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit will work in this. And as you leave this morning, there'll be one or two things where you sense that God is calling you to do something different in the coming week. To follow through. The first one I want to say is, I want to encourage you to embrace your saltiness and your luminosity. This is an identity question. Embrace your saltiness and your luminosity. I know that word luminosity is big, but the fact that you emanate the light of Christ is what that means. The fact that you emanate the light of Christ. This is a sense of identity. And part of the thing we talked about was how salt and light, they're inherently the way they are, right? It's not like a switch that turns off and, and turns on. Uh, that's, where, that's what they are. And the same is true of you. I'll never forget, I've told this story before, but... When I really, my, my story is that I came to faith seriously. I probably had an awareness of Christ and, 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 a, and a childlike faith in Christ when I was younger. But I really came to faith seriously and got serious about my pursuit of Jesus when I was in college. I was living in Madrid um, and the world got really big around me all of a sudden and I asked some deeper questions and my dad had given me a Bible and I just started reading the Gospel of John one night and, and went read straight through and at the end, I, I decided I'm going to commit myself to this Jesus person and live my life for Jesus. But I was really quite a, a mess. I'm, I'm still a mess, but I was much more a mess then even than now. And, um, and I came home from Madrid and I, I, I got back, you know, I had my, another year of school and I got into a, a house with a bunch of college dudes and um, I was the only one who was supposedly a Christian, but I didn't even really know what that 
fully meant in, in deep terms. And uh, I just remember feeling a lot of guilt and struggle around, you know, how to do this. And I felt like I was failing constantly. And I was failing constantly. It wasn't just a feeling. Like it was, you know, it was, it was a mess. And at the end of that year, uh, there was a graduate student living with us, a really sharp guy. Um, and he had just come from Rice University, and um, he said to me at the end of the year, he said, you know, Andrew, uh, up until this year, you know, my thoughts about Christianity were just really dark and negative. I had nothing good to think about Christianity. But living this year with you has really changed the way I perceive Christianity. And my jaw dropped. I was like, I didn't even know you knew I was a Christian, right? And the only explanation, when I think about my life during that season, I think about how much I failed. I think about how much I was not reflecting, you know, the life and the person of Jesus Christ. The only answer to why that could be the case is that as followers, as Christians, we are inherently salt and light, whether we're being successful or not. That's your identity. And so as you move through the world, remember, you're going to flavor and you're going to illuminate whether you think you are or not. It's not simply contingent upon you being the best Jesus, all right? Because you're a work in progress. And as you're working it through, you're going to shine light. Our failures to be like Jesus can cause us to despair that we're having any impact. And this is a really significant moment because once we do that, we stop, we stop thinking in those terms. We say, well, yeah, salt and light, but not for me. I'm not salt and light. And that begins to shift the way we move through the world. Uh, we've got to hold on to this identity. We are salt and light. It's a fact. And you will flavor and you will shine. Because Jesus, because it's dependent upon Jesus. All right, that's the first one. Second one is don't lose your saltiness. Now, while we're inherently salty and luminous, it's possible to kind of ratchet up or, or down the intensity of those qualities. So this is a tension in this text that I, I, I wrestle with. Um, there's a simple principle here. The more that you're like Jesus, the more you're going to flavor the world around you. And the more you're going to illuminate the world around you. And the more we collectively are going to flavor the world around us and illuminate the world around us. So there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an element here where we can actually participate in ratcheting up, ratcheting up our, our flavor or our, our uh, wattage in terms of luminosity. And how do you do that? And the answer is very simple. It's by aligning your life with Jesus Christ. It's as we become more like Jesus. And so that's why it's important for us to pursue obedience. Obedience, I, every time I put obedience on there, I just feel like this because I know everybody hates that word. But actually, there's tremendous freedom and joy in obedience. I have a pastor friend who he uh, has embedded this in his church and I just was, he was telling me about it and I was just, I was loving it and marveling over it where uh, they, they encourage each other to read the Bible. But when they read the Bible, one of the layers that, they, one of the things that they really encourage each other to do is to go and apply it right now. To just do what it says. Even if you don't fully understand. To obey the word of God. And when they do that, they see things happen. 
they see that they become salt and light. And this church, it's, it's called the Kansas City Underground. And they're having a tremendous impact on Kansas City. And I love that. They're like underground salt and light. And they're just reading their Bibles. And they're, they're trying to obey what they read in there. So obedience is simple. It's freedom ultimately. And it's very powerful. It makes us salty. And it makes us luminous. It increases our wattage. Don't cover your light. And this is the theme of openness. Uh, the only way people will know that the flavor coming off of you or the light coming from you is ultimately from Jesus Christ is if they know that you belong to Jesus. So one of the things I love to encourage people to do, and all of you educators, but whatever field you're in, when you start a new job, when you enter into a field, let people know right off the top that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Just get it out there. And I know you're feeling like, yeah, but I might mess up. You will mess up. But you know what? These qualities are inherent to you. And you're still, let them know. You don't want to just be a nice person, do you? That's not going to change the world, a bunch of nice people. You want to be a broken person who's been transformed by Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. And when people see that, then their lives can be transformed. Nice people, if you're just a nice person, that doesn't transform somebody else's life. You need to bring them, draw them to where the power of the gospel is. And that's when they see you in your brokenness. So let them know, I was in church this week and the pastor's an idiot. He said this and you know, I don't, whatever you need to say um, just to get it out there. That this is part of your life, right? You are a follower of Jesus. So don't cover your light, openness. And then lastly, get on a stand. The, less, the, the point here is presence. Get on a stand, presence. Like light that shines, if it's up on a stand, or salt, the whole point of the salt was to be scattered throughout the food, right? It's, it's scattered in the food. And when we leave this place on Sunday and Monday starts, it boggles my mind to think of where the people of this congregation are on a Monday morning. We are scattered. And each of us, is a unique presence in a specific place that the rest of us can't be because we haven't been invited there. We're a unique presence in that place. And when we're, when we're in a, a community uh, where we live, we're a unique presence in that place. And God has placed you to be, you know, a preservative and a light where he has you. And we need to understand is it's a precious, precious opportunity for us to be where we are, to be present in those places. Last week, we learned that God has ambassadors in the perfume industry. Lauren shared her testimony. She was working at a perfume and department store perfume stand. And uh, the woman across the way at the other one, she came over and and said something about seeing the light of Jesus in her. And they invited her to read the Gospel of John together. And, and this is one thing I loved. That Lauren said, I tried to find that woman later to let her know the impact that she's had on my life. But I couldn't find her. So right now as we speak, somewhere out in the world is this woman who went over and invited another woman to read the Gospel of John and then just sort of disappeared. And the impact, radical transformation 
in this person's life. And that, the person who did it doesn't even know. The woman who did it doesn't, doesn't even know. She doesn't know. Right? It's that living by faith thing. So much of what has happened, we're not going to know. So much of the way that we impact the world, we're not going to, that's why we just have to obey Jesus and trust him. But you know what? Someday she's going to know. I, I love to picture Lauren and this woman in heaven running towards each other, a big grasp. Thank you. Thank you for being faithful. To, to point me towards Jesus, my life has been completely transformed. Right? Someday she's going to know. And someday you're going to know all the ways in which your simple obedience has had an impact on this world. God, would you help us, help us to be salt, to be light. Thank you that we are already. Help us to accept that we are. Help us to live into it fully. We love you. You are a good God, and you are faithful. And I don't know why you've chosen to transform the world in this way. Seems like there could be better plans. But you have chosen the little people, the, the impoverished, the needy, people like us, to be your ambassadors. And so we're going to go with you and trust you because you made this world to begin with. And you've proven yourself faithful in, in the person of Jesus Christ. So we're just going to go with you and trust you on this crazy journey. And it's going to lead us to all kinds of places we didn't expect. And we're just going to keep believing as it happens that you are in charge, that you are working it all out. And someday we're going to get to have that moment where we see it. And it's going to be beautiful and we're going to celebrate and your glory will be shining forth over it all. So thank you. Hold us until then in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.